This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. One of the, the messages I could take from this is no matter how much exercise I do, if I haven't got the right genes, I'm not going to be able to punch those levels. The turnaround for that is to say, no, I should be just enjoying my exercise and I should enjoy the way it makes me feel for the rest of the day because it does make me feel great. Perfectionism, calorie restriction and good genes. Our topics for this episode. Hello again, I'm Peter Bowes. This is the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Peter Allison, my school pal from 50 years ago, is with me for another conversation in which we contemplate the future, review the latest longevity science and ruminate over the aging process. We're both settling into our 60s and have a vested interest in that subject. Peter, I'm in Los Angeles. You're in the UK, where I gather the big decision of the week is whether or not to switch on the central heating as the winter encroaches. Oh, I I, I cracked this morning. I uh, I came and switched it on. My wife was complaining about the cold, so she went to sl- I'll tell this to everybody who's listening. My wife found a spare pair of pajamas and was wrapped her head up in her spare pair of pajamas last night. So I felt a little bit guilty about um, just being sort of a some combination of just refusing to try and refusing to put the heating on so that I'll give up to put it on. That creates an interesting mental image of the pajamas yes. wrapped around her head. <laughs> I woke up this morning and I thought, well, you, you've got a turban on. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter, I want to talk to you this week, at least one of the topics I just mentioned, perfectionism. The last episode that I published a couple of weeks ago with uh, an assistant professor of psychology at the London School of Economics, Thomas Curran, Mm. who has written a fascinating book about perfectionism, everyone's favourite flaw. It's something you might describe about yourself at a, a job interview. Have you got any flaws yeah, I'm a perfectionist, supposedly to impress someone, whereas yeah. his theory is that perfectionism actually can be, or at least can lead to quite a, a stressful lifestyle and that it might be better just to focus on good enough. But now, I was interested just to apply this to what you and I talk about, and that is ageing and, and longevity, mm. with the the thought, are we sometimes striving to be too good, too perfect in what we were seeking to achieve? I think perfectionism is often portrayed as a beneficial trait, and I'm not quite sure that it is. I think sometimes that perfectionism is the enemy of success, I think, because sometimes perfectionism means that you are ever striving to achieve goals which are no longer cost effective because if you put the cost that you're putting into the achievement of the goal well sometimes you get to a point of diminishing returns and so then perfection means that you are striving for diminishing returns when maybe perhaps the right choice is to think i will now have another goal i wonder if 
a little bit like a genetic predisposition to get certain diseases, whether perfectionism is something that is built into us. And it's just like mm. some people are, stay up late at night. They are night owls. Some of us get up early in yeah. the morning. I wonder if some of us are predisposed to be perfectionists and that it's something that we maybe have to work quite hard to shake off. I think, well, it's difficult to... to well, I'm thinking about that because I think I have at times, I have at times been some, something of a perfectionist. And I think that I probably got it off my father, probably from behavior. And I could easily have been from behavior rather than genes, right? And looking back at my, the way my if I was work, I was if I was doing some sort of like DIY work type, I would view my dad as being a perfectionist. Although in hindsight, he seemed to be a perfectionist because he was just so much better at it than me. So it seemed like perfection. But the reality of it was, he would get something good enough, and then he'd say, "Nobody's going to spot the difference, so just leave it." So it was my perfect. My I perceived him to be a perfectionist, but really he was just so much better than me. But he managed his own performance. So maybe he wasn't such a perfectionist. But I think that's probably where I picked it up from. Yeah. And as I say, I try to apply this idea to what we do in terms of diet, exercise, thinking about longevity. And I guess sometimes in my life I've applied or tried to apply a certain exercise regime or diet to 100%, to, to not have the mm. cheat days in the diet. And over the years, I've developed the mindset that I think we need cheat days, whether it applies to what we eat or even the exercise regime, that we don't do the full five miles every day or every allotted day, and that some days you don't go to the gym at all mm. and still feel okay about it, still feel happy about it. And I think there's probably a broader message there in terms of what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, there has to be a balance, isn't there? Because I feel there is a need for me to develop a habit because it's so easy for me to slip and lie in bed a little bit longer or, or whatever. It's so easy not to do it. I think of all sorts of reasons why I shouldn't exercise. It's important to make that habit, but it's equally important that if I don't do it, the failure to do it does not seem as some crushing defeat. I mean, it just has to be, I'll, all right, I'll just be happy doing what I'm doing today instead. And that probably also applies to the ultimate goal. And I often talk in terms of, of years, uh, what, what the goal yeah. might be, whether it's the average lifespan of, it's about 78 years old in the Western world mm. now, or 80 or 90 or 100. And what, in terms of our mindset, we actually settle on as being okay and is it becoming more stressful for us to, to think about and we can actually get onto this subject with the topic that we're coming on to in terms of, of genes in a moment but yeah getting to 80 90 or 100 it's either going to happen or it isn't going to happen and i think my point is that let's not stress about it too much in our 50s 60s and, and 70s well yes because i mean the, the, the whole point of it it's the journey rather than the destination isn't it really because if you, if, you, if you get really stressed about getting to 80 and then just spend all your time stressing out i've been a terrible person well i shouldn't say i've been a terrible person i've been terrible for focusing on the destination rather than the journey 
And there's so many times you get so busy. And I, I think that's where I think some of the negatives of perfectionism come, that it stops me enjoying the journey because you're so focused on the destination. And that can be such a waste, I think. And I think that implies to the whole thing of trying to get exercise to maintain health span as well, is enjoy it. And if you're not enjoying it, there's a problem. Yeah, and the returns can be negative pretty quickly if you're not enjoying it. Yeah. That you give up, yeah. then there's a mental effect of that feeling of, of failure. Mm. So uh, I think you're absolutely right in, in terms of the balance that we need to achieve these things. Well, I, I tried to walk 50 miles a week. And I set out, that was my target. I was going to try and walk 50 miles a week. And I walked 50 miles the first week. And then the second week, as my legs started to feel really a bit sore. <laughs> and I, and I, and I, I sort of like lagged down a little bit. And I suppose my goal, and this was prompted by that song, if I could walk 500 miles, I thought, can I walk 50 miles a week for 10 weeks? So I am going to try and do walking 50, 500 miles, but I'm going to have to try and see if my legs can improve here because actually walking 10 miles a day five days a week and on top of that of course i'm going to the gym as well so it's also the, the time it takes because it just does take an awful lot of time um but yeah i mean so that yeah. comes into this conversation that we're having about and um, being able to sit back and say the perfectionist uh, well i wanted to do that but then i just have to sort of like say well maybe i have to scale that back a little bit and maybe try it again or not. That's not to say, of course, that the goals aren't good for us. And like mm. you, I have lists of, of things to achieve, and especially when it applies to mm. exercise. And you can't deny the, the positive yeah. impact of reaching a goal and, and sticking to the target and getting the whatever it is, 50 miles a week, 100 miles a week, or a modest five miles a week, if that if that is in your capacity yeah, yeah. to achieve yeah. that. There is certainly a, an impetus to do more after you've reached the goal, which I think is yeah. is good and, and, and is to be encouraged for a lot of people. Let's move on to this next story, this study about calorie restriction. Caught my eye yes. a few days ago yeah. by the National Institutes of Health, published in Aging Cell. They looked into whether moderate calorie restriction can have a tangible benefit for well-being. And the key to this is a definition of moderate. The goal on this study over two years for the participants was to reduce their daily caloric intake by 25%, which is quite a lot. But the highest the group was able to reach was 12%. But even that, 12%, and the researchers call this a slight reduction in calories, that was enough to activate most of the biological pathways that are important for healthy ageing. And I just did a quick calculation for your average man, maybe 2,200 calories. Uh, that is a reduction of only 264 calories in mm. a day. It isn't a huge amount. And the outcome of this was that individuals on calorie restriction as part of this study, they lost muscle mass and an average of 20 pounds of weight over the first year, but they maintained their weight for the second year. But despite losing muscle mass, the calorie restriction participants didn't lose muscle strength. Mm. So they lose muscle mass, but they don't lose muscle strength, suggesting that calorie restriction improved the, as they put it, the amount of force generated by each unit of muscle mass 
called muscle-specific force. And so, going right to the bottom of the page, the conclusion here is that a moderate amount of calorie restriction, seemingly only a couple of hundred calories a day, can have significant benefits. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I was fascinated by this. I mean, one of the things that fascinated me following on from our previous discussion was that there were people were trying to get a 24% calorie reduction and 12% is what everybody achieved. So just following on from our conversation of um, perfectionism, I just thought, oh yeah, well, that's a, that's a case in point. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, and it was all of these it's all of these markers it switches on all of the right genes for longevity and health span it's just really great i mean i've tried some fasting diets before and i think we've discussed this before and when i've tried them i've lost muscle mass particularly upper body strength and it sort of put me off a little bit i think i was probably not doing it right i was i'm sure i was doing something wrong but this is, I mean, but again, as you say, this is really interesting because they don't lose muscle strength. It's great. It is great. And you're right, we've discussed fasting regimes before, and I've experimented with quite a, a number, yeah. some clearly much more extreme than this in terms of mm. calorie restriction over a restricted period of time. Um, one of the very noticeable effects is, is loss of, of muscle mass. But Interestingly, and these are very different regimes, and it's important, I think, not to confuse regimes, intermittent fasting, periodic fasting, where mm. you just fast for a couple of days a week. But the one that I did was a, a fasting-mimicking diet over a five-day period, a very significantly reduced calorie intake, about 700 calories, at least on the final four of the five days, a little bit more on the first day. So much more significant than the 12% reduction here. And although I lost muscle mass during that time, during the refeeding process, as the scientists describe it, getting back to a normal diet on day six onwards, I returned to normal, but very quickly surpassed my abilities in terms of strength well, compared with what I was when I started the five-day regime. And I think that is essentially the renewal process, the building of new muscle cells within the body as opposed to the muscle cells that you had previously, which might have been a little bit past their sell-by date. You grow new muscle cells and you're actually feeling physically better and physically stronger very quickly after the fast, I would say within five to ten days, I was actually performing much better post-fast than pre-fast. Right. And I think there's something of that in what has been identified mm -hmm. in this study, that the reduction of calories is longer term going to be beneficial for us. Yeah, I, I mean, what's good is it's, this is coming out for just such a small reduction in calories. I mean, it just causes me to pause a little bit and think about, you know, we ultimately our distant ancestors were all hunter-gatherers and so we're all as hunter-gatherers you just program to go away and gather and hunt and eat while you've got stuff and store fat up and you know that's been selected for for generation upon generations and now here we are essentially for most of us we're just surrounded by constant plenty and so we're just really just doing all of the things that evolution has selected for over thousands of years just by constantly eating almost 24 7 isn't it really it's just easy just to open a cupboard and have a little snack yeah so really we've just been programmed to do that by all of our evolution and now now it's just 
not good for us. Well, yeah, I think it shows that the the feast famine lifestyle, which is basically what you're describing, the, the hunter gatherer, yeah. food is plentiful during certain times and it and it isn't at other times. A big part of that kind of lifestyle that is still very positive. Mm. For us today, the problem with now is when you talk about being able to grab a snack. I think that is that is the problem. How easy it is to to get some petrol and buy a snack, which is you know what many people will do. That you've got a refrigerator, you work from home, and you're feeling a little stressed. You open the fridge door, and there are lots of of snacks to eat. It is too easy to snack, and all of this, of course, is promoted in advertising, TV mm. advertising, especially. There's there's some really interesting. Well, I'll not dive too deeply into this right now. There's some really interesting research about television advertising of food and the processes that we go through, especially our brain, when we're watching television, suspenseful television drama. Right. The way that the brain is working, perhaps when it's coming to a climax, it's five to the hour and your program is finishing and then there's a commercial break, reinforcing your need to have a snack. Oh, I mean, that's that's quite interesting because when I've tried to lose weight before and, I, and I've tried to really get into become disciplined, what I do is I... I give in to my snacking, but I just try to snack on something that's very low calorie. So eating raw carrots or, or other things, or, you know, similar, similar things. So, yes, that's where I would snack on. So, yeah, I would uh, just snack on things that's not really going to cause any uh, so much damage. But I think, again, bottom line of this, I think that, as you've identified, the, the very positive message here is the small number of calories you need to reduce your daily intake by mm. to have some sort of tangible effects. So a couple of hundred calories, what is that? That's a, a small bagel, if that. Yeah. It's not that difficult to eliminate that number of calories during the day. In the UK, that would be a jumbo bag of crisps. There you go. There's nothing positive in that bag of crisps either, is there? No. I mean, so just to just say, so what is your, uh, what is your, your guilty secret snack of choice then? Cheese. Cheese. I love cheese, and I think we all know that cheese is laden with fat. It is high calorie. I'm certainly not of the opinion that cheese is necessarily bad for you, but you don't need to eat much cheese to be getting 500, 600 calories. Yeah, yeah. You know, a tiny little cube of cheese is about 100 calories. But that's my little, that is my yeah. go-to in a, a stressful moment. And, you know, if you want to be really extravagant it's a nice large crusty brown bread sandwich with cheese and pickle mm. delightful calorie laden well that's very that, that's very northern peter that is isn't it yeah Ch cheese and pickle sandwich <laughs> still enjoy my cheese so what about you well my current um nibble of choice um would be a handful of almonds i just love almonds so my almond story is this, and I'll keep it very, very brief. I was of the same opinion a few years ago, almost 10 years ago, in fact. California almonds, mm. delicious, quite easy to get hold of. Yeah. And they were my go-to snack, usually in the car. And I really enjoyed them. Thought I was eating healthy food. It was providing me with some energy in the middle of the day. And then I got kidney stones. Mm. Nuts are full of oxalate and ah. calcium oxalate kidney stones resulted from my feasting on nuts and especially almonds. And you don't want to get kidney stones. It's one of the most 
painful situations that you can... Now, I can't 100% say it was because yeah. of the almonds, but at that time, I was eating a lot of nuts in my diet. I used to make smoothies with spinach, which is also yeah. extremely high in oxalate, and other leafy greens that are high yeah. in it as well. And I'm pretty certain that it was my my supposedly healthy dietary regime at that time because I haven't stopped eating all those foods, but I've reduced significantly and haven't had a repeat of the kidney stones. It's just a cautionary warning of, uh, and it goes back to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago about moderation in all things, yeah. everything. Mm. Not everyone is susceptible to kidney stones, but I think uh, yeah. you, know, you don't want to put yourself in the kind of situation where, where that can happen. No, not at all. Well, my other nibbles, bread. My wife makes, um, she's just going go back into bread making and she makes really ra- rather nice sourdough focaccias. And oh, that's just fresh out the oven. It goes very, 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 very quickly. It's delicious. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. You're listening to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Peter Allison is with me, and we're talking about this week's new longevity science. Let's move on. The secret to living to 100. This is a Wall Street Journal article just a few days ago. It's not good habits, good genes matter more the older you get. Habits like getting enough sleep, exercising and eating a healthy diet can help you stave off disease and live longer, they say. Yet when it comes to living beyond 90, genetics start to play a trump card, according to the researchers. And the thing that really leapt out at me from this article was that they say about 25% of your ability to live to 90 is determined by genetics. This is the professor, Dr. Thomas Pearls, professor of medicine at Mm -hmm. Boston University, leads a study, uh, the New England Centenarian study, but he says by the age of 100, it's roughly 50% genetic, and by around 106, it's 75% genetic. That is a big leap, isn't it, from 25% Mm. at 90 to 75% at 106. Yeah, so so I think when I was reading this, so part of it, for me, instantly I start thinking about the longevity of my parents and my grandparents to think, what sort of genes have I got? And then I started thinking back about the lessons that I could learn from the perfectionism, the striving for perfectionism in a way. And I think the lesson from that is to enjoy the journey rather than be focused too much on the destination. So in this case, maybe one of the one of the messages I could take from this is no matter how much exercise I do, if I haven't got the right genes, I'm not going to be able to punch those levels. But 
maybe then the, the the turnaround for that is to say, no, I should be just enjoying my exercise and I should enjoy the way it makes me feel for the rest of the day because it does make me feel great for the rest of the day. There's no two ways about it. So I should enjoy that and I just take the genes as they come because I've got no control over them. I, I agree with that. It did make me think, though, that essentially what they are saying is that up to the age of about yeah. 90, our lifestyle, diet, exercise yeah. regime, sleep regime, has a quite significant impact on our ability to get to that age. And then they're saying that after the age of approximately 90, genetics begins to take over, that you have that. Mm. It, it's often described as the longevity gene, that mm. you can just keep on going. And you hear these stories of 105-year-olds who say that they love a glass of whiskey and a, and a cigarette every day. And you think, well, why? And you know, how can they get to that age? It seems that some people are just predisposed to get to a, a great age mm. despite their lifestyle. But it, it does tell me that there is a lot we can do clearly to get to yeah. that initial great age of 90, which is a fantastic age, and perhaps reinforces my enthusiasm to keep at it. And then, yes. and then maybe just joking a little bit here, live and let live after the age of, of 90. If you get there, well, Maybe that glass of whiskey and <laughs> I would draw the line at cigarettes, but a glass of whiskey and a, yeah. a couple of almonds might be quite good fun. Yeah. Do you drink whiskey? I do quite like whiskey. I drink, and again, alcohol perhaps is another conversation for another day, but I drink very, very little alcohol these days because it just doesn't, it doesn't like me. Mm, me too. Which is kind yeah. of frustrating. I, I like whiskey. I like red wine. The first drink is great. It's usually just one drink if I do have a drink these days. But then after about mm. 30 minutes, after about an hour, the headache starts. It's, it's clearly not a hangover at that stage. You haven't drunk that much alcohol. But yeah. it just dulls my senses. And it's the dulling of the senses, and especially the next morning, when I still feel maybe only 75%, that I really dislike yeah i do too to be perfectly honest i i i don't know how many bottles of wine i've got in the house 40 50 and i think i've drunk two bottles of wine in the last three to four months i just don't really touch it and yet i've got loads of it and i it's, and it's because of the way I feel. I'm exactly the same as you. It, I, I, I just resp I get the way I respond to it just getting worse and worse and worse. And so I just don't like that feeling of being slow, unless it's a really nice occasion, you know, with my family around and stuff like that. Then, then maybe. But otherwise, I don't. I agree with you. I so if on the few occasions that I do drink any alcohol these days, I try to make it fairly early in the day. Right. I, I, after six or seven in the evening probably isn't going to be much fun for me. But if it's a mid-afternoon, if it's a barbecue situation or even a lunch, when the rest of the day doesn't really matter, that is the time for me to have a, a quick glass of wine. Mm. A quick closing thought, Peter, related to this story about genes and, and growing older. Just, I just want to quote you uh, something from the article, which I think is quite inspiring. Chuck Ullman, who is a 97-year-old, lives in retirement community in Thousand Oaks, very close to mm -hmm. him in California. Yeah. He says he's free of health problems aside from a sore right shoulder from a recent electric biking accident. Yes, I saw that. He's 97. He has no desire to live to a particular age, reflects what you were saying. He hopes yeah. to live as long as he feels good and can do the things he loves, such as woodworking, attending political discussion groups, 
and getting dinner with some of his many friends. I think that just sums it all up nicely, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean that was yes, that was in one of the papers that we were reading that we've read one of the things that we've read today they were talking about the importance of having really good friendship groups, really good circles and how that that's very beneficial as well. Yeah. I interviewed a a lady she she's since passed away. She was 102 at the time and very healthy similar sort of attitude to this. She had a a book club with some of her girls. Her girls being her friends in the mm. 90s, they used to read a book and then choose a restaurant, go to the restaurant and discuss the book. That was her life. And the, the friendships she had, often long-term friendships within this group, were what kept her going. She was physically yeah. okay as well, but it was the social side of just meeting people and, and having something to look forward to. I think that is one of the most crucial things about being very, very old, and that is always having something mm -hmm. tomorrow, next week, next month to look forward to. Yeah, I think there is something to be said for having lots of human interactions, because if you interact with lots of human beings, you have to realise that you have to moderate your own thoughts and your own behaviours, because... To be congenial, to be agreeable, you have to just say, well, I'm, you have to back off on some things. And somehow or other, that sort of level of moderated balance in one's own behavior and capacity to opinionate, that's a story of moderation, isn't it, in itself? Learning to be moderate oneself, to be agreeable, to be able to get on with other people uh, and allow other people to be right and to let other, you know, and accept that perhaps you're wrong at times. I mean, that's, a, that's, an old, that's also a part of the story of moderation, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is a, a theme we keep on coming back to. Yeah. Peter, enjoyed this conversation as ever. We will talk again very soon. Get that heating turned up. Yeah, I will do. All right. <laughs> Take care. All right. Thank you. Same to you. Lama Podcast is a Healthspan Media production. We'll be back with another conversation very soon. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. This podcast is for informational, educational and entertainment purposes only. We do not offer medical advice. If you have health concerns of any kind, or you are considering adopting a new diet or exercise regime, you should first consult your doctor. Flexbeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rude. Whenever you put the Flexbeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. Flexbeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. -A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.